Hello, welcome to this week's Stats Bomb Podcast with me, James York, and... Ted Knudsen. How goes it, Ted? Uh, I'm, I'm still waking up, I think, even though it's almost 11. <laughs> One of them days, eh? We'll do our best. Ten and a half hours sleep. A busy day yesterday. Yeah, travelling traveling once more. I did some travelling last week, which was fun. I went to Liverpool, but... Um, James got to look like an actual sort of swami guru uh, last weekend <laughs> and then on Friday night. We'll explain that in a bit. <laughs> yeah, now we're now we're um, back doing a podcast, which we've missed a couple of weeks because, like I say, we've been busy here, there, and everywhere. But that's okay. Uh, we do our best to fill in well, where we can and try and do what we can. We're going to talk about what's happened in the last kind of couple of weeks and throw forward into the future because uh, you know plenty going on. Business end of the season, I think they call it. Um, and yeah, only a handful of games left in the Premier League or in the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Like you know. There's an FA Cup. There's an FA Cup at the weekend, which is quite insane. Is there? Um, no, last weekend it was, it was oh, right. mildly. Yeah. I was like, man, not again. I just <laughs> I thought we were done with that. It, no, it no. Actually, <laughs> the games were very good. So to give it full credit, although I feel well, like the one the, game was good. Most of the FA Cup has been a bit of a squib, but like the the particular the Watford match was like excellent. That's- yeah, that was interesting actually because uh, uh, there's kind of a few noises out of the the traditional media was saying like the FA Cup's not dead after that after that Watford game. And I think historically there's always been the odd good semi final along the way, occasional good final. It's not really that's not really what the you know kind of essence of the FA Cup is anymore though. It's just a bit of a drag in the early rounds, and then you might get some fun later on when it really when it really matters. But, but a few years ago, I think it was only two years ago, in fact, like there were so many early knockouts uh, in one of the either like the first or the second round that the PL clubs came in like from some giants that that actually became very exciting and uh, and a fun day to watch. But yeah, it's it's boring if there aren't the upsets, which is a little bit of the case with the, the NCAA basketball tournament this year as well. We're not talking about that as much as Seth Partnow might want us to. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do, I'm, not, I'm not that far into the NBA, so to, into basketball to be able to give educated comment on the NCAA finals or whatever they are so yeah anyway let's go back to what we are vaguely qualified well what did you do let's start with what you did last week and because it sets up a good good two stories actually I went to Liverpool and we talked to the Anfield rap um, about uh, stats and stuff give them a little kind of training course thing uh, to get everyone in their office you know up to up to speed with uh, what we're about and how you can use stats to inform like your ideas about football and things like that. So that was good. Um, and you prepped a couple of things as part of. Uh, there was a little bit of overlap with the the introduction course to to football analysis, which is still open. You should sign up. Uh, London's London, New York, Los Angeles are available. Chicago should come sometime soon. So if you're interested in those, great reviews. Uh, but anyway, so James did the stuff and he retailored a lot of the things inside of that to uh, Liverpool-specific stuff or Liverpool's opponents. And there were two things that came out of that. He did it on Wednesday of last uh, of last week. One of which is is something that I kind of nudged about certain shot locations and how like some of them are objectively bad, not just because of the distance, but the situation. Uh, so yeah. talk us through Mohamed Salah's goal. On yeah, that that was quite funny because I give him I give him an example of what I think is a bad shot, which is um, a, you know, a kind of almost blocked on impact um, effort after after a set piece, probably a corner or something uh, from range, which uh, if the ball breaks to the opponent, kind of leaves you rather open to um, the counter attack. And uh, there was one example of that, which you you recalled actually was was Southampton West Ham earlier in the season when Felipe Anderson burst up the other end of the pitch and scored. 
And um, so, yeah, that was that was part of the course because it was just like, look, this is objectively a bad shot. You know, don't don't take it. It's got a tiny expectation of going in, and you know, the absolute worst case scenario uh, of it of it being blocked and dropping to the dropping to the opponent is a goal at the other end. Now these things these goals are, are quite scarce. You and our analysts had a look at it and found that there'd only been uh, like a hand a handful of them in in, in total. Um, Probably only two this season. Of course, one was this weekend against uh, Mosul. I pulled it off uh, again against Southampton. So Sam, Southampton in the dressing room probably afterwards. But well, I think part of that is themselves. like you know you if you know that they've got a habit of this, you readjust how you close down those balls. But also like everybody's aware that this could be a counterattack for us. So it and and both times it's been you know the ball kind of comes back out to central you know that whomever's out there... I don't know if it was Armstrong this time. It was Armstrong the first time that took the shot. And then... Yeah, no, it's Ward Prowse this time, I think. Yeah, so... What, with, his, with his wrong foot as well. Yeah, well, that's not... <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and, like, all of a sudden, you could just see, like, the swarm starting. And it's... Bzzz, like, <laughs> the killer bees closing down. Suddenly, the, the rebound is on somebody's foot. And then, poof, off to the races. Uh, so that... James looked very clever because of that. Because uh, <laughs> thank you to Mohamed Salah for doing that. Um, no one's told us that we look clever because Naby Keita started scoring goals, but that's all right. We'll we'll take that uh, under advisement. And finally, oh, the other thing you did was talk about um, Porto's set pieces and how good they were, and flagged a bunch of video stuff because we use a lot of video in our course. And then apparently Jurgen Klopp said the same thing in uh, in a press conference, uh, and and Anfield uh, Anfield Rap also like put it in their 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 preview show. <laughs> and, and so it was like kind of cool that you know you can use our stuff then to pick up you know very similar things to what the the professional teams are doing. So well done, James. Yeah, no, it's, it's, I think you can well done Ewan again for that one because he he dug out the, the Porto ideas around set pieces initially and cut me a little video of it. And they do do some fun things there, some you know kind of clever little ideas. Um, yeah, I mean that that's the thing. I've had this. You, not I'm not trying to uh, big myself up whatsoever, but. Like the more and more you kind of like analyze football, like with with stats and stuff, and then you see things that you've identified happening on the pitch, and it's like some of them are slightly obscure, like the first example you've given there. But you know, even just basic ideas that come out through just spending some time looking at a team and just kind of absorbing ideas about a team. Um, yeah, they do they do come out. It really is a you know we're we're not just plucking ideas out of the sky. There's 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 truth in them numbers. I tell you. So I, f- I feel like I should have said well done, Jurgen Klopp. There, you know. <laughs> not, not well done, James. Anyway, <clears throat> moving along. Uh, so that was a Friday night game. Uh, Liverpool won to return to the top of the table, however long yeah, that yeah. may last. Um, yeah, and then there was a bunch of other stuff going on. City like feels like they haven't actually lost in, in ages until <laughs> last night. Yeah. Um, so the quadruple's still on, but the one one goal down. So we're gonna we're gonna come back. I think circle back around to the Champions or to the Premier League, but everything's the Champions League right now. So there were two matches last night. Three English teams. Two routine home wins, of course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's because it's, it's, it's a whole weird thing about Pep Guardiola and, and quarterfinals and away legs and stuff, and he just never wins them. And, I, you know, as soon as you put out that team sheet with Mares, Mares in it and uh, De Bruyne on the bench, and even I really rate Leroy Sane. I mean, I I, I keep saying this, and I, I think he's great, and he doesn't get enough starts for my liking. But, you know, looking at that lineup, Bernardo Silva was out as well. You just kind of thought, well, I, pff, I've seen I, I've seen more fearful Man City lineups. 
And I think people made a couple of people made a point about the fact that he might be trying to actually this was one game where he could potentially rotate because the win, the actual win, wasn't entirely necessary. You know, as long as they as long as they kept it within. I mean, you could say that potentially they would happily win, but if they if they drew and took the took the um, match back to the uh, the S had, then that would be fine. Even a one nil defeat isn't you know as disastrous as it could be. Should we was, take this as an implied? An implied sign that you know they actually really are going for the quadruple. Mm. I feel like we should. I, I feel like I guess, you know. Well, they can't not be, can they? I mean, it, the, the the easy ones are <laughs> almost in the bag. Let's say. I mean, you can never rule rule anything out in a cup final. But Man City, Watford, you feel like um, they should be able to beat them. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, even that's not a gimme, right? Like that, there's no. some challenge in that. It's not like they're facing Wigan or something in the in the final or Hull. <laughs> yeah, we're getting the kind of good and bad example of that, considering they're the one team that did do that. But yeah, um, yeah, no, I, I think they certainly are. Um, you'd still imagine that they'd be stronger than Tottenham in the second. But it's so fascinatingly poised now. If, you know, if Tottenham managed to shin a goal in at some point, suddenly they're going to need to score three times at home. Yeah, and you know uh, that's perfectly reasonable. But also. Um, you you know, were not... so worried, James. You were like you were sandbagging this so hard. <laughs> yeah, it's still it's still Man City. Like they're still like <laughs> them. They're just not the team you want you want to play at this stage. Um, yeah. So I, 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 I'm pleased. I'm pleased that Tottenham play Man City three times in yeah less than a fortnight, and that we can come out of it with our head held high whatever happens now because we've got like, one one good result out of it uh, hopefully there'll be uh, some more good results coming but yeah it sets up the tie beautifully because uh, you know that whole like if Tottenham score aspect in the in the second leg really is really is quite neat although obviously Kane is looks like he's done for the season I thought yeah we can mention mention this you 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 tend to have ideas <laughs> no you tend to have ideas about like injuries and stuff now he's had I think because I've, I've followed this before, he's had I think five ankle injuries now yeah. over the last kind of three or four seasons. Yeah. Three of them were on his right ankle. Um, the first three, uh, which were kind of spaced apart a little bit, and then the last two have both been both been his left ankle, and both of them have been this this year. And it, I, you know, I, I, against his stage, it's just like who. who <laughs> I'm fearing for him now because there's only so many times you can smash your ankle up before it's like right, okay. This isn't good. Do you know who else had lots of ankle injuries? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm thinking Jack Wilshire. Yeah, I don't know who you're thinking. That's yeah, exactly. One. And that's 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 just a you know a, a concern, I suppose, at, the, at this stage. You know, he's not he's not a he's not a young player anymore. He's kind of entering his prime. But if if he keeps injuring the same ankle, well, I mean that's twice he's injured it in quick succession and the other but the other ones had a few whacks too. in its time and and the thing is like injuries sort of accumulate damage um I mean, that's just a fact like you you tend to accumulate some element of uh you know scar tissue etc off of these injuries uh more problematic when Kane possibly rushed himself back uh in the past and then you know this didn't look good but yeah you know, it was banter last night because it was you know i'm still an arsenal fan we get to banter uh, i think <laughs> kaylee took me honestly when i was saying you know it's a shame that spurs haven't actually had the opportunity to sign a, a back a new a better backup to harry kane since 2017 <laughs> and, and he's like there are other problems in the squad and you know son is fine I'm like 
it really was just a banter, but you know, the fact of the matter is Harry Kane is now fairly injury prone. You kind of have to like come to that conclusion and Spurs not signing anybody over the last year. I I guess the stadium has cost them something like a billion pounds. So there are financial reasons why that might possibly be a positive for them. But on the pitch, like there are other issues too. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Like I, I I feel bad about this now. Like <laughs> I, I joked about like the Fernando Torres thing and Harry Kane, and you know have have we seen kind of the the end of his you know elite period because of the injury stuff? And that was you know, last summer uh, with this as well. I mean his 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 year hasn't been great, right? Like we have to be honest about that. He's been it's, yeah. It's it's hard. It's it's really tricky to tr- tricky to to. to get an idea exactly like how good is Kane now compared to how good Kane was a year or 18 months ago because he had such an electric run at that point um he's still scoring goals and his his it feels like his his passing game has improved over time he's he's like you know more of a kind of all-round forward he always had that in him a little bit but we we've seen it more I feel like we're seeing it more often when he's when he's been on the pitch but pre-injury though he looked like the next coming of Cristiano Ronaldo and this was about a seven month period so you wonder Mm -hmm. if that's the leap or is that a bit of luck or is like some funkiness about how they're playing but nevertheless pre-injury like uh you know 18 months ago now uh Mm -hmm. he looked before the world cup in in the in the March period he looked like he had come into being the best forward in the world and now, uh, you know, we would say his shot volume is okay, but he hasn't quite looked right. He's still struggling off and on. His quality is never going to be great, but he strikes, strikes the ball so true that that's like great. Uh, you know, it's the quality isn't as big a deal for him. Although we've kind of seen him cut down some shots outside the box. Yeah. Uh, but the bigger issue for me is, you know, the goal scoring is down. The goal scoring XG is down. When we looked at him, and one of the reasons why people got really excited was. You know, he looked like he was going to score like maybe half to to three quarters of goal a game for a little while. Shot volume was up around five or six, and that's awesome for a forward. It almost never happens, and he was in that spot. And then the injuries hit, and now you know he's at three and a half shots a game, but his XG is right around point four. Uh, so yeah, that's his XG looks rather more like kind of like normal striker. Yeah, it's this pedestrian. So, yeah, considering, considering his role. But then the whole team's expected goals. I mean, we're chicken or egg here. This is uh, yeah. It's a bit hard to kind of like pull apart exactly what's going on with Tottenham, it's true. especially, um, especially especially when the results don't quite. I mean, apart from recently, they don't quite match the the expectation. They've they've had a really odd season. It's um, and it still still hasn't kind of like uh, kind of shaken out. I don't think. But yeah, Cake. Just a cons- from my perspective, I think he's fine as a, you know as a kind of like um, you know. <laughs> top striker, perhaps not a top, top, top striker. Well, not the not moment. the best in the world, but <laughs> no. you know, probably above average and still very good. And if he could, if he could have like a year where he just mostly stayed healthy, like you feel like he he might be able to to come back to that. But if he doesn't have that, then you know you might you might say that that brief period in the twenty four twenty five era or you know year old uh, time period was his peak, and so be it. Um, so beyond that, though, there's good news for Spurs. Obviously, um, you know, first of all, congratulations on actually opening a new stadium. Uh, apparently, it's lovely. 
congratulations to my friend uh, Chris Galley, who apparently had norovirus, despite the fact having he's been waiting all season to be able to attend the Tottenham New Stadium opening with season oh, wow. tickets, and uh, <laughs> he was able to go to the game, the match last night. And apparently, you know, the Sun goal was weird, though. <laughs> Let's just, I'm, I'm like watching it, and I was like, oh, that's that's a nothing position. Someone should close him down. And then he just like you know pops it into a yard of space, and he hits it so hard. Right between Edison's legs, what it looked like anyway, that uh, it's suddenly they're one nil up, and it feels like that's a dumb defensive lapse. But that's also one of the things that Son gives you. He's he's such a true ball striker uh, that he is the type that can consistently over overperform unexpected goals because he just hits the ball really hard, and that's useful. Yeah, and he's 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 incredibly direct as well. I mean, that's yeah. the that's the thing that um, even in that situation where he's on the byline. Like, what's his first thought? You know, most players would literally just stop that ball up and then, like, look for a ball inside. Yeah. No, he's just, in his mind, he's like, no, I can get a shot off here. And so he just kind of drives at the edge of the six-yard box and absolutely leathers it. He's um, doubling his expected goals in uh, in the league this year, by the way. I, it's, <laughs> it's a little high for him, but we think that because he hits the ball so hard, he just sort of naturally does overperform expected goals most of the time. He's just a very yeah. good finisher. Yeah, and he finishes with both feet as well, which yep. is you know a relatively not it's not unique, but it's it's uncommon or it's uh, a very useful trait because so here's here's a probabilistic thing that um, I think I've I've referenced as kind of like uh, a youth coaching hacks article that I wrote three years ago, but the the ability to be able to play well the ball with both feet and we're getting more and more of this stuff out of uh, out of the stats bomb data, which is also really cool. One reason why we started collecting passing footedness was to be able to to surface up guys that not only were playing regularly with both feet, um, and regularly means like two-third, one-third for, for the most regular players, but also to look at like the confidence in their ability with both feet. So uh, Derek's working on an updated version of the the expected passing model that will be able to tell you not only is this player like, you know, 95th percentile with his right foot and 10th percentile with his left, but he only attempts like, you know, five to 10-yard passes with his left Versus his right foot, you know, he, he he swings it all the way across the box. And this isn't useful just for, like, professional recruitment type stuff. This is super useful for developmental type stuff. Like, if you've got this information in your academy and you're able to say, oh, yeah, this, this kid's extremely one-footed. Like, we need to either help fix that or we need to just come to terms with the fact that he is. But anyway, the point on, on all of this and why you want two-footed players is because it more than doubles your options on the pitch. Like, say you're only one-footed and you've got, like, a 90-degree radius where you can take a touch and then put the ball in a playable space. Like, that's okay. And if you're Aryan Robin, it's absolutely fine. If you're if you're Aiden Hazard, it's absolutely fine because you're incredibly fast and you're able to get that burst of space. But if you're not those guys, if you're, like, you know, James Ward-Prowse or Jordan Henderson and, and a bit slow, the fact that you can now open up the rest of your body by having a second foot, potentially taking the touch with the other side, finish with either side so that somebody can't overplay your strong foot, that really changed the defensive options, which then makes it much more possible for you to have disguise and space, despite the fact that you not, might not be super fast. And that's like that's why I'm just a huge believer in two-footedness and why I think internally we've been surprised at how one-footed most professional footballers are. Yeah, no, I I'd agree with that. It's, it's it's a feeling. It's a feeling I've always felt. Um, you know that two footedness is 
is is you know a highly useful skill. And, and even if you you know you're not you're not going to become as good with your your wrong foot as you were with your your better foot, presumably. I mean, some players might might with you know long 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 term coaching, but um, that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. <laughs> it doesn't mean you shouldn't like you know just there's there's an obvious you know Harry Kane's someone who's always always been um, heralded for like improving his shooting and you know working incredibly hard in his shooting. You know, if every player just worked equally as hard, you know, as a kind of like add on to their normal training, as, as to like just improving their off foot then you know that that would certainly be a you know a, a decent idea um to kind of like try and implement um but we don't necessarily see that so yeah it's an interesting it's an interesting one right, so uh on. you take a one one no lead into uh into the etihad are you excited are you ready yet uh, uh well yeah. this is james as a fan come on let's tap into <laughs> james as a fan here not not james the curmudgeonly non-takes that spot analyst <laughs> Uh, yeah, because like I, uh, it was very realistic that we'd be going back to watch this second game without any hope whatsoever. <laughs> so the fact that you know it's, it's poison that there's a match to watch there is is quite pleasing. This is great, um, James. Look at you. You're tapping yeah. into your happiness. I just want to. I just want to <laughs> flag up one important thing for you. Go on. It's the hope that kills. Yeah. <laughs> Never hope. The point, the point is not to care to care too much, you know, and then you'll then you'll be all right, I think. But yeah, it's good fun. It's good fun. I mean, like just from a um, any perspective, like Liverpool didn't quite kill their tie last night, but two nil two nil looks like a, a lead that they can, you know, they can kind of like hold off or should be able to hold off over in Portugal. So it means that night you've got one you've got one game that you know is poised enough to watch. And as as a fan, an arm, a fan in my armchair, that's that's what I want in an evening. So. That's good. That's good news. Uh, what we got tonight? We have got Barcelona, Man United tonight, which which should be a, an interesting heat check on uh, exactly where Man United are. I haven't looked at the lines. What do we think the line, the gambling lines are on that one? I think they're. Um, did we talk about it? Before? I think they're you know extremely heavily towards um, towards Man uh, Man United. Okay. Uh, sorry, towards Barcelona. Well, that would be a mind. big surprise. Wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, get on Barcelona. If that James. Was... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, I drift. I'm drifting. I'm thinking and talking at the same time. But uh, yeah, so so it's um, uh, it's half. Uh, basically, Barcelona are half goal favorites, just about evens to to win at Manchester, really? which is pretty interesting because like Barcelona haven't been great this year either. Messi's been great, uh, but overall, especially defensively, Barcelona have been a little uh, too open or more open than they would have been in the past. And the one thing that United can do. Is uh, is attack? I don't think yeah. they defend particularly well right now, but they can definitely attack. Yeah, it's Barcelona are funny, aren't they? Because you know, you look at you look at the uh, XG and stuff, and you think oh, game to game, you look at the you know what they're putting out, and it's like oh, it's not it doesn't feel like it's get coming together. And then you know they're top of their league; they've lost like a couple of games all season. Um, they're a bit. I get. I think you expect more, more frills and flair from Barcelona conceptually, and they've they've become quite an efficient unit in some way. You know, like Juve, Juve do that, don't they? Juve, Juve don't always blow the numbers apart. Some but Barcelona feel less there. evil. <laughs> we can move to that actually, can't we? we, we there was a story that you highlighted uh, this morning that's come out. Um, I can't remember who it is. Some Juve guy. It might have just been a couple couple of days ago, but it's uh, it? uh right, Agnelli yeah. at uh, Juventus um, has been sort of leading the push from some of the European giants 
to reform the Champions League into a structure that gives them more European games. And you you pointed out that you think it's largely because you know, them and maybe Bayern Munich um, you know, have, have really just dominated their leagues to the point of strangling it. Uh, to a lesser extent, PSG, although PSG haven't won every single year um, in, in recent seasons. So the, the question then becomes like, how, well, how do we find more compelling games that keep our fan interest and also like a bigger pot of money? But the flip side of that is like, you know, they, in order to pull this off, which it looked like, you know, groups of eight and then the top teams advance from that, um, or sorry, eight, eight games, um, in, in those no, you're groups. right. Eight, eight teams, eight teams of four groups of eight teams. Yeah, play each other home and away with qualification qualification based on historical performance. Right? Well, that that's the part that feels success. like it's bullshit, right? Historical <laughs> yeah, performance. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, you don't have to actually been good in your league recently. Like, you you just had to have been good at one point, and then we might be able to grandfather you in. But the bigger deal is obviously that amount of games would potentially take away from. Uh, from Premier League matches. And so the Premier League uh, teams have been like, we have no interest in this. Uh, We're strongly committed to the Premier League, et cetera, et cetera, which makes sense because it's so huge, right? The Premier League, regardless of its faults, is the dominant league and the dominant, you know, cash cow in, in world football right now. And it doesn't seem like that's, you know, ready to change that much. Premier League keeps getting better and better, um, for the most part. And, and this year especially has been scintillating from, from, Especially like it's not just the top, but like the top six have all incredibly compelling things and a, and a real title race for two of the best teams we've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing. As long as the Premier League is is the dominant kind of like financial uh, power, then it's going to be really hard to try and get try and get something else to stick across Europe. And as I say, like you know, the you can quite easily see why you know teams, big teams from um, other other leagues, look for, on the outside looking in, think right. We need to create more competitive matches, and we need to get some money going because, you know, it's um, that's that's the bottom line. And probably, you know, we've said this before, but if 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 a Premier League team wins the Champions League this season, and, and you finally think that um, we've actually got past the the kind of like Sp- the, maybe the Spanish era has has dwindled a little bit, and like you know, the Premier League's the money in the Premier League is actually creating teams that are strong enough to actually win in Europe and then if you go four or five years down the line and that recurs you know time and time again and and maybe even different Premier League teams winning uh, winning uh, um, the Champions League and such then you could see even more the push from the outside of uh, of clubs like you know Juventus or Bayern whoever it is thinking like we want a piece of the action you know that these 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 teams funded by an incredibly rich league um, are of becoming very very hard to beat. So, yeah, I think this this problem isn't going to go away. Or this issue isn't going to go away. But you know, it's it, it recurs frequently enough now that there's a conversation to be had almost every time it comes up. I suppose um, the Bundesliga has been especially compelling this year too. And one of the fun things about the Bundesliga is that you can move in and out of that. Like they seem to have more fluidity with regard to the Champions League places. Um, you know, Leipzig was there for a bit. Schalke had a you know, Champions League run last year was in the Champions League, made the knockouts, but like has been horrific <laughs> in the Bundesliga itself this year. Uh, so it's yeah, it's it's not entirely clear. And and Spain also have like a rotating cast of of six, uh, especially if you look at you know fifteen years back, like you see a lot more Sevilla, Valencia uh, making it into the Champions League places and and the top sort of three four. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't know like, but it 
given all the other stuff around Juventus, like they basically just are the empire. Like Darth Vader feels like he's he's pulling the strings behind the the scenes there. <laughs> <laughs> not had very good press recently have they? <laughs> they don't necessarily think they've helped themselves but they're, they're facing Ajax and uh, and they're they're actually quarter goal favourites at, at Ajax and Ronaldo gets to go up against uh, some young very talented players uh, we'll see how that goes they, they've made a great run this year and I remember I was in Barcelona in November at the the Barcelona Analytics Conference and I met uh, a couple of people from Ajax including Vasa de Buda uh, who's a woman who uh, I believe is head of uh, sports science and data there. And then she was talking to uh, Rude. Uh, I believe his name is Rude Van Elke, and I apologize if I screwed that up. Uh, but he works for PSV, also on the, the data side. And, and Rude was actually saying that they they're kind of privately rooting uh, a bit for Ajax, at least in the European competitions this year, because it helps their standing in the league. And I was like, oh, it's, it's nice. Like you can get a little bit of solidarity, uh, solidarity for you know, traditional opponents and rivals because, like, the league as a whole and, and Dutch football, to be honest, with you know, kind of needs that type of story right now. Yeah, that's true. I mean, again, it's another thing we've hit on, the, 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 the non-Big Five nations, you know, any time they get some success, uh, you know, in European competition, it can't, can't be a bad thing, you know, to get these other clubs, you know, high up, especially in the Champions League as well, which has, you know, become not a closed shop, but a, a less open shop over, over time. Right, that's Champions League. Should we have a, what should we do? Should we have a quick look at the top four? Because that's all kind of squeezed up a little bit. Does this mean that we have to talk about how absolutely horrific Arsenal were this weekend? They weren't good, Ted. They were not good. Uh, they so were I extremely go- bad. <laughs> I mean, that's the my shot- analyst guy, Ted. <laughs> <laughs> the shot count kind of tells the story itself, but you know, the expected goals doubles down on it. So Arsenal yeah. gave up how many shots to Everton? Was it 22 or something like that? We, we have 25 Right, there you go. <laughs> Which, yeah, I mean, it was at Everton, and it felt it felt like Everton just like strolled up the pitch whenever they wanted to. Charleston on on one side, um, Calvert Lewin completely physically dominant over the the centre backs, um, Socrates and uh, and Mustafi. Uh, so yeah, twenty five shots to seven, and expected goals of two point three two for Everton and 0.36 for Arsenal. So it wasn't even as if yeah. like the attack was it wasn't a track meet. It was uh it was Everton camped in the Arsenal final third. There was 10 15 minutes in the second half where Everton like had I don't know three or four times they they burst forward and created created chances that were felt good enough that or you know opportunities they might not have you know all converted into like high high value shots but opportunities where you know it was like right they they're going to score. <laughs> they will probably score in a minute or they'll probably score in the next few seconds and it just didn't happen and uh yeah it it was it was it was oddly stark how ineffective arsenal were in that game um they just didn't never got going they they lacked uh Zaka and Torreira in midfield which might, you know may well be a uh key factor into you know lacking a bit of bite in there because it was Gunduzi and uh, Elneny that started and then Ramsey came on in the second half but it was just toothless. That was it was that was the thing. I mean, the, the the Everton appear to have improved in recent in recent weeks. They've got a handful of good results. Um, you know, they beat Chelsea and they drew, drew against Liverpool, and now this this result as well. Do, do you think Marco just, Silva is still under incredible pressure in order to perform, despite the fact that they're one point off of seventh? Yeah, yeah. I guess they, they've that's the thing, isn't it? They've kind of by hook or crook and ended up exactly where you might have expected them to. And if they can kind of continue this good good run of form into the end of the season, then then you wouldn't 
you'd be a lot well, significantly higher on Everton conceptually as, as we were perhaps were three or four months ago when it looked like they were a bit hapless and I think the main the main problem with Everton going forward is is whether they choose. I mean, squad wise, we've discussed before, but you know, whether they convert a couple of these loans, like you know, you've got Zuma and Gomez starting. I think are both on loan at the moment, so you know, their first team isn't quite as as set as as maybe maybe they like it to be. But there'll be choices to be made in the Ign- summer. There, ignoring how bad Arsenal were for the moment, the most important thing to come out of that match was a long throw goal from Everton. <laughs> <laughs> there we are. The, the Ted Knutson Express has arrived at the station. <laughs> yeah, no, that was a uh, that was that was one one for the fans, wasn't it? There yeah. were multiple long throw goals this weekend in England, um, and, and in fact, I think there was a match last night, Bristol City and West Brom, where where two long throw goals were scored, you know, off of probably second or third balls in the same game. It's amazing. Right? Yeah, yeah. Moving That's slowly. That. Yeah, it just it is it's it's just a weapon, isn't it? You know, and it works. Exactly. Use everything at your disposal to get an edge. But speaking of edges, who has the edge in the top two? Well, the the win, the league win race. But also, James has done some research on schedule strength, etc. <laughs> and uh, and talk to me about the top four, buddy. Yeah, well, like obviously Chelsea got the points in the bag, uh, but two horrible away games to come, and against who? Liverpool, Man United. So Liverpool away, you know Liverpool are going to be in no quarter there. Man United <laughs> away, just huge for, for this, you know, for the sake of this. Um, and then yeah, just fiddly games. I mean, they've got Burnley at home, which you you'd favour them heavily for, but still, I don't know. Chelsea are at sixty six, but they played mm. thirty three matches, right? So so basically two points a game plus twenty three goal differential. They're in third right now, but. Spurs, Arsenal, and United all have a game in hand. Uh, Spurs are two points back with a better goal differential. Arsenal are three points back with a better goal differential. And uh, Manchester United are kind of right on that cusp where you know they're, they're three points back of fourth. Uh, they're five points back of third. They need a bit of a run to get there. And they're only facing you know one of the toughest teams in the world uh, in the Champions League in the meantime. Yeah, that's the thing. All these, all these teams have got... you know All in Europe smattering of Europe, European games to kind of rotate into probably Chelsea are the ones that you could actually favour they've got Slavia Prague coming that's right um, and which, sorry Tom <laughs> which is, is is the the weakest of the teams that these uh, the, this bunch are facing in, in Europe so you'd fancy that they could rotate and still um, be quite comfortable through that uh, yeah Chelsea Watford at home Leicester away to finish I mean Leicester, Leicester have won all their games under Rodgers there's only been four games and they haven't been great teams but Right now, Leicester aren't a kind of a team that you you want to face. Um, Arsenal have got Le- Leicester away as well. You know, Arsenal have got Watford away, Wolves away. That's Leicester right. Arsenal's away. Arsenal's waveform is fantastic this year. They just <laughs> they're just, cleaning up. These are teams that are all like kind of like roughly Everton standards. And while they haven't got any of these big games or rival games coming, like these just any away game with Arsenal, you don't really fancy them too much. But certainly not the kind of seven to ten uh, in the Premier League teams. Uh, Arsenal away, it's, it's 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 just I don't know. After the, after this weekend, seems to play so badly. To, new, to newer listeners of the Stats Bomb podcast, I apologize for all the sarcasm. That's just how we do it. Uh, my my irritation about Arsenal's away form is very large. <laughs> it, I, it's, I just genuinely don't get how like that's th- th- this is this is a kind of problem that has recurred year, year to year. Um, 
Why? Why is that? They don't. Arsenal play like a different style of football under Emery, but why are they still so like meek away from home? Why? And yet still so strong at home. Their home matches, Palace, Palace and Brighton. They've got two home matches. Those are pretty you, easy ones. Generally. Yeah, you, 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 in your mind, you're just like, yeah, that's fine. Arsenal will win those matches. But then as soon as you go away from home, you, you, even even to lesser teams, you're like. I just don't know about Arsenal. I don't know either. Someone should probably write about it. Like we've got home away <laughs> filters on on IQ. Like you could probably try and figure it out a bit. It just causes me headaches, so I I, I get to rant <laughs> over here instead. So uh, what have we got Tottenham. See, I feel Tottenham are in a good position. The reason I feel Tottenham are in a good position is you've got home matches, three three quote unquote easy home matches yeah. against Huddersfield, who are relegated, Brighton, who are yeah, battling, but. Mm, who knows? They they might have eked out some safety then, and then West Ham, who have just been yeah, oddly... West West Ham have gotten over the hump. Like they know <laughs> that they're not going to get relegated, and so it feels like they're having a Tony Pulis, Sam Allardyce sort of unwinding period, where they show yeah. up to train two days a week, and, <laughs> and the rest of the time is a lot of golfing and chilling out, and not particularly worried about the results. Yeah, it's, it's you know you. you uh, anything can happen but you you know on paper you look at those games and you think like okay they'll also be pretty solid favorites uh to go to bournemouth um and beat them that's the second last game and then everton at home again a little bit tougher but it's not everton away uh i heard an interesting thing about the new stadium that spurs players were complaining a little bit about because it was so damn noisy they were having a hard time to to communicate that was funny because yeah, I'd heard that as well because like you know the whole idea about the Spurs new stadium like there's been so much narrative stuff like oh that'll that'll give them the players a boost that'll you know that'll make them play better I think they're going to be better because because they're in a new stadium and it's like okay they we're into the intangibles straight away <laughs> and it's like mm, all right I'm just going to hang fire on that as an as an idea it's still a game of football and then yeah this idea that like they can't communicate. <laughs> I mean, presumably the opposition can't communicate because it's so loud in parts. Yeah. Like, okay, well, they need hand is, signals is, and silent snaps now. <laughs> is this is this going to like kind of like counteract this perceived um, benefit of it in the use? Uh, anyway, eh, but whatever. it's just <laughs> yeah, it's it's just funny that we've got we've got this kind of like counteracting intangibles that. Yeah, so this is this like, is twice on this podcast you've been positive about Spurs right now. <laughs> this is, I'm looking at the schedule. They've got more points than Arsenal. They've got more points than Man United, yeah. and they've got these these like relatively straightforward home games. They played Palace in the first game in the new stadium, and this was this Spurs match I've seen countless times where they where they uh, you know pummel the opposition with kind of like long range shots and just kind of like control the ball. Don't let the opposition get get anywhere, and then eventually make a breakthrough. Um, that's 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 what we see quite frequently Spurs against a, a weaker team. If you take and the expected goals numbers, mm-hmm. you would say that it's probably going to be Chelsea and Spurs. Right. And you given given Arsenal's away form, it also probably means it's going to be Chelsea and Spurs. That would be quite nice. From a, I'm, all, I'm very pleased nice. when the league table lines nice. up with the expected yeah. goals. That's that's always pleasing to me. So Yeah, um... <laughs> well, things that are pleasing to you aren't necessarily <laughs> pleasing to the rest of us, but nevertheless... <laughs> We should we should mention Man United. Man United have got like kind of six like six six games that you expect them to probably win. Home to, home to West Ham, uh, away at Huddersfield, and home to Cardiff. Last day of the season, probably Cardiff. Wait, pro- probably gone by then. You said six games. You probably expect them to win. Sorry, three three of the six you expect them to. Win. Okay, I'm looking at that and I was like, 
at our home against Man City, <laughs> home against Chelsea. Hmm. It's 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 either it's either or, yeah. And then the away at Everton, home to Man City, home to Chelsea. They're the ones that it's like, well, right, okay, they're they're not so easy. And because of the deficit that they've got to make up to certainly Chelsea and may, you know maybe Tottenham, it just feels like they probably have to win one or maybe even two of those games, like to to you know get get top four. And I think Solskjaer said something like that. He said something like, "We need 15 points," and that was before yeah. they went and lost at the week, lost last week or whatever it was. So, yeah, they, I think they're justifiable outsiders, especially with the goal difference um, behind the rest rest of them. But yeah, I, I think Spurs get to face that squishy underbelly. Now we haven't. You mentioned the elephant in the room of the Harry Kane injury where he probably isn't going to come back. Mm. Please don't let him come back if it's a bad... Like, just let him heal. Yeah. Uh, but they... The squad... You know, if, if Son is playing as a, as a center forward, it's just deep enough. Like, a second injury would probably cause some problems and, and cause this to be much more of a coin flip. Yeah, yeah. Lamella's, Lamella's been out recently, so the, the kind of, like, front... The front uh, group doesn't feel quite as strong at the moment. We could even end up seeing Lorente start, which wouldn't be wouldn't be the worst idea in the in the you know kind of uh, at home against uh, the kind of perceived lesser teams. You have but, a crossing fullback that you know can just keep thumping in those crosses there. Yeah, funny enough, <laughs> funny enough, I did. I was I was d- deriving some. Uh, uh, what was it? Some locations out of our freeze frames because we've got the locations of all, all, all the attackers and defenders in for every shot, every shot in every league that we collect, which is quite interesting. And you know, we haven't done a, uh, haven't done a whole deal of research into it uh, into it yet, but we haven't having a poke of it recently. And you know, like most most uh, most forwards, like spends time like around the box, uh, you know, or slightly outside the box sometimes when shots come in. <laughs> Lorente, no, Lorente, every single shot that Tottenham have taken when Lorente who's been on the pitch he's been somewhere in the very centre of the box and it was quite interesting how 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 starkly how starkly he is a striker and not a forward I mean we know this but mobility is also a thing that you know (laughs) tends to get you out of the centre of the box but also back into it if you don't have one of those it's better to be in the centre of the box and not go out of it yeah, seeing that seeing that in data form was was you know uh, over and above just a shot map was was really quite fascinating. But uh, there we go. So yeah, so we we're picking Chelsea and Tottenham then, Ted. I think yes, as much as it pains me. But I mean, there's a lot of variability inside of this, right? Especially as you get yeah. down to the end of the year, like one or two unexpected results uh, for the underdogs would certainly change this. Uh, you know, I think the harder one is is simply picking between Liverpool and City. Like, Liverpool have the extra points. City have just this unbelievable 22 matches in... in or Sorry, seven matches in 22 days. Like, mm. That is just relentless. On the flip side, they definitely have squatted, uh, built that squad so that they've got the depth uh, to be able to do that. So it, it's going to be really, really intriguing. And the run-in is, is exciting. Yeah, no, it's all good. Right, anything else you want to hit on today, Tim? No, I think that's about it. Uh, that's good. Course signups are still up, so and and will be. Uh, they start on June first in New York. Uh, I think the the last of the ones that we've scheduled so far will be in uh, first weekend of July in Los Angeles. But London is there. If you're at all interested, please do. Uh, we're looking at probably Madrid at some point in the autumn, uh, or maybe early early autumn, at uh, late summer. Uh, but that hasn't been locked down yet. So if you're if you're in England, we don't have anything else scheduled for uh, for the rest of the season right now, and probably won't do another England 
one, obviously, until at least October. Uh, so, yeah. Anyway, sign up for the courses. Keep listening to the Statsbomb podcast. Tell your friends and then read all the good stuff that Mike Goodman and all of our writers have been putting up on Statsbomb.com. All righty. 